I'm just going to stay right here, I guess. Yes. <clears throat> well, ancient landmarks, that was great, hun. It's a good way to um, put a cap on some of these crazy ideas we've had. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I'm a very simple person, and I've led a very simple life. I mean, I, I live in a small town on a small main street in northern New York. I've raised children, and now I have grandchildren, and, um, you know, very kind of everyday-ish, you know what I mean? Nine children, lots of diapers, um, lots of meals, and lots of everyday-ish stuff. Um, and I was like, Lord, what, what do we have to share? I mean, we were both kind of like, okay, and we're in a new season, you know, we're in that season. Keith was kind of just alluding to that season. <laughs> um, and I remember Rick saying, well, Keith said, just, just tell them who you are, tell them what you've done, and tell them why you do it, and all that stuff, and well, I am who I am, and I do what I do because of the Word of God. I was like, there's, there's nothing more, and I do cry a lot. Oh, I will try not to. <laughs> the Word of God I, has always been a passion of my heart, a treasure to me, and so, so very wonderful to talk about. And... Um, how did, it, how did it all get started, this little love of mine for the Word of God? And I was probably about 20 years old. I, I won't try to get into my salvation story. It's kind of long and complicated. I sort of always knew Jesus from as early recollections as I have, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And I really got discipled when I was in college. And so I'm, I'm 20 years old, and I was home, summer job, working at the diner, getting up at 6 in the morning, which meant I was home by 2 in the afternoon, and I had great quiet times because the rest of my family worked until 5, and oh, I just had all that time in the afternoon to spend with the Lord day after day. And I just remember this verse, you know, how God is so good to use the Word of God to reach right out and grab us. And I was reading Psalm 25, and the Scripture says... Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, for you are the God of my salvation. And this, this little girl from a small town, working in a diner, going to school for music, um, was pretty blown away, and I was on the floor weeping. I mean, the God of the whole universe, the God of... Every part of me to the smallest cell. I mean, he's the Lord of every cell in my body. He's the Lord of the whole universe. And he is holy. And he said he would teach me his ways. And I wanted his ways way more than my ways. At least I thought I wanted his ways. <laughs> we all have had encounters with his ways that did not always jive with our thoughts. And you know what I'm talking about. But wow. What, what a marvel, and that has been, you know, we have those verses that are like cornerstones in our lives, and that's, that's one of those. Um, and you know, it began a relationship with the Word of God. When I, when I think about the Word of God, and when I wanna talk about the Word of God, and when I tell people you need to be in the Word of God, I'm not talking about academics, and I've got nothing against academic study of the Word of God. It's just that I'm not really a theologian, and I'm not a great, student that way, um, but I love the Word of God, um, and 
it's a living relationship that we have with the Word of God, even if we are studying it academically um, and we're wrestling with all those big theological issues that we need to look at and we need to, we need to deal with those things. But we need to have a living relationship with the Word. We're not studying it just to you know, find out those things and get into the debate and have the right answer. Um, and, and I knew right then at that moment when I was 20 years old and falling on the floor saying, Lord, you will show me your ways. Um, you will teach me, you will show me, you will teach me your ways. I, I said right then, Lord, let, let your word mess with me. Mm. 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 Every day will mm. it mess with me because mm. I need to be changed. Oh, Thank you, Jesus. Would you divide asunder? Would you transform my thinking? I'm committed to yielding to the word of God. I'm committed to submitting to the word of God. Lord, I want a relationship with the word of God. I don't want to just memorize it. I don't want to just study it. I want a relationship with the word of God. And secondly, I was like, Lord, I want to know you. I mean, I don't want to just serve you, and I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I want to know your ways and I, your paths. I want to know your thoughts, Lord. I want to know your heart. What makes your heart excited? What makes your heart beat with gladness? What brings a smile to your face, Lord? What are the desires that are in your heart, Lord? So those were the two things that I really understood from that little passage of scripture about the fact that he was going to show me his ways and he would teach me to walk in his paths. I was blown away. Um, shortly after that, well, a couple few years maybe, well, not too many, we got married and next thing you knew we were up in the frozen tundra. And um, <laughs> we live in the frozen tundra, in case you're wondering. It was four degrees when we left yesterday morning. Um, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Any of you were around when we used to sing that song? Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the city of our God. He will teach us his ways. He will lead us in his paths and the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord to Jerusalem. And when they started singing that song, I was like, I know that idea. I like that idea, and the Lord just continued to cement in me this desire to have a living relationship with the Word of God, a relationship that would, through the years, day in and day out, yield to the Word of God, ask the Lord to keep me in His ways. I knew I can't do that myself. I can't teach myself. I can't. I am going to set my face to following you, Lord, but Lord, would you, this, all of, through Psalm 119, Lord, sustain me. Lord, let your mercy keep me. Lord, would you cause me to walk in your ways? It's such a dependence upon him. So who I am today, that was one of those real significant turning points. Mm. You know, when the Lord, you know, branded me with that passion for his word. Um, and so as I was thinking about what are we going to share here, you know, the Lord said, well, first of all, he said, are you kidding me? I'm, wait, 20, I'm 66, so, you know, 46 years of walking and really looking at the word of God, you're going to tell me you've got nothing to share? And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, 
But I was, you know, looking at Psalm 119 one day, and, you know, verse 74 says this, May all who fear you, and that's you all, you all fear the Lord. You all walk in fear before the Lord. May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy. For I have put my hope in your word. The other, another translation says, those who fear you, that's you all, those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. I have hoped. I have walked on water because of his word. I have built and allowed his word in faith to be a foundation in my life. The word that sometimes I couldn't see why this was going to be good. Um, I was saved out of, like, I was an ardent feminist, and I hated men, I hated marriage, and I hated children. And um, God really, really took me to task on my attitude about marriage. I mean, I was not well-schooled in the Bible. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, but my family wasn't Christian. I just loved God all my life, and he had his hand on me. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I hated marriage, and it was the word of God. I had some friends who said to me, Christian friends, wow, you've got an attitude about marriage. I said, no, I've got no attitude. I just know what I think about it. And they're like, you should find out what God thinks about it. And I'm like, what does God think about it? So I'm looking in the word. Where else do you find out what God thinks about something? So I went to the word, and I started looking up what God thought about marriage. And I was like, oh. Oh, my. It was your idea, God? <laughs> what a bad idea. Well, you know, and I, it was one of those nights when I wrestled with what the Word of God said. Because everything in me, everything I had crafted, my life, all my worldview, my perspective, my hopes, my ambitions, all really centered around these attitudes about marriage, family, and men, and children, and all that stuff. Um, and so I wrestled all night long, literally. It was one of those tossing and turning, sweating, and pounding your pillow nights. Um, because I wasn't wrestling with God. I was wrestling with my flesh, my will, wanting it to be yielded to God, but not wanting <laughs> to be yielded to God. You know that, that hard place you're in. And I just found myself in the morning, light as the sun is coming up, on my knees, sweaty and messy and teary and just a wreck, saying, God, I see what your word says. Lord, I don't like what your word says. But if you ever call me to marriage, Lord, please don't ever call me to marriage. But if you ever call me to marriage, I will believe that it is for your kingdom's good and for my, my good. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we can't turn our hearts around ourselves, but, we, but he can. We just have to lay it before him and, and let him do his work. And um, so we, we did. We, we got married. <laughs> really soon after that. I... I I, it, it, wow, it was, that was something else. That's another whole story, and I'm not sure we'll get there. But um, I have put my hope in the Lord, and I have put my hope in his word. Um, 
Psalm 92, 12 through 15, is like another song that I loved um, from Psalm 1. Um, Planted by the stream, and my leaf shall always be green, and all that wonderful stuff. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. Healthy and green. Why? To declare that the Lord is just. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. You know, I've been telling people all my life, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord's word. He is good. He will be faithful to his promises. But 46 years later, I can say that. I can say that. I can tell you he is a faithful God. And if it's in his word, it's his heart. And we just want to walk in his ways and he will be with us. People, there's a great poem um, called Callback. It's, and I'm not going to read it. I don't want to take all that time. But basically just saying, for those of you that have gone ahead, there's a misty veil between me and you. But would you just call back and tell me he was with you? Would you call back and tell me that when the sky was gray, when sin covered everything, would you call back and tell me God was with me? Would you call back and tell me that he was with you when you walked across this stony path? Would you call back and tell me he was with you? And that, as I read this word, that those who fear God will be glad when they see me, a 66-year-old woman who has built her life on the word of God, and I have no regrets. I have no regrets. I often think, where would I be? Where would I be if I had pursued my desires and my dreams, my ideas of what was right? I have a God who has been faithful and done amazing things in my life. It might be a simple life, but I'm telling you, God taught me a long time ago, sometimes the small things are the great things in his kingdom. That diaper, <laughs> that was a great thing in his kingdom. But seriously, he, his kingdom is like not the way we perceive things. So faithfulness in relationships, faithfulness in marriage, faithfulness in building a church, faithfulness in saying, Lord, your word is more supreme in my life than anything. I will yield to it. That is big stuff. How does it look in my life today? Um, Psalm 119.16 says, evil people try to drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored to your instructions. I am a friend to anyone who fears you, anyone who obeys your commandments. You know, we've got, a, we've got a battle. We've got to learn to take every thought captive. We have to only heed the word of God. There's so many voices. There's so much communication. There's so many Christian bloggers. And, you know, the scripture has a word about who should be teaching and who shouldn't. <laughs> you know what? We just have a teacher on every blog site, um, and they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. And they're captivating people, and people are listening to that, and they're not really accurately revealing the word of God. We have to say no to that, and we have to say only the word of God. You know what the word of God says that says I'm free from sin? I'm going to get there, and I'm going to get ahead of myself here if I'm not careful. But um, great promises. Um, 
freedom from sin, every form of sin, sin without, sin within, okay? So the, and I don't wanna um, offend anybody, um, but, you know, Try. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, the Bible just calls things sin or not sin. We get all these words like, oh, but it was trauma. Oh, but it was abuse. Oh, but it was triggering me. And I'm like, well, don't, don't be triggered. <laughs> be free. Be free from the sin. Be free from the impact of that sin. The freedom isn't just from the sin within you. I'm sorry, but I can't be the only one that is impacted by other people's sin all the time. If, if their sin can't be dealt with by Jesus in me, then I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad place. There's a lot of people on planet Earth. There's a lot of people that are sinning and their sin impacts me some some of it very deep hurts and yes trauma that god i had trauma in my life god it's a long process sometimes but you stick with god's word he is the answer he is the answer you know what else i love about the word of god um we can we can brag about the word of god like i can say no the bible says it's sin and we just repent of it and we move on. We get free from it or we get healed. God brings healing. It's not my wisdom, it's his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a problem, then I will just pass the buck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies for they are my constant guide. Yes, ooh, get, don't, don't get nervous here, but this is what the Bible says. I'm just reading the Bible right now. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments, O Lord. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. Sorry, that is the Bible. Um, I love the Bible. Um, precepts. Um, did, I, did I miss that somewhere? Yeah, no, gonna get there. I, I'm sorry, honey, I know I gotta hurry. Fine. <clears throat> Therefore, verse 128 in Psalm 119. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. If you ever hear something in, in a, inside of you, it just goes, ugh, that's important. If you know his word and something goes, ugh, take heed to that. You are gonna hate every false way. You're going to resent it. You're going to despise it. You're going to want to tear it down and build something better in its place. Amen. Um, it's freedom from sin, and I, I kind of jumped there already. The scripture says, turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. <laughs> Don't you love that? It cannot rule over me. It cannot 
trigger me out of control. It cannot. I'm, the, it, I'm just reading the Bible here, okay? Redeem me from human oppression. Why? So that I may obey your precepts. I just want to walk in your ways, Lord. Would you redeem me from human oppression so that I can walk in your ways? I don't have to respond badly to that man right now, even though he said that thing that really upsets me. I can still love him and be kind to him and speak respectfully and be civil. I can because you have redeemed me from human oppression. And I can obey your precepts. I can. I am free to do that. So we don't need to be slaves to sin any longer from within or things that have been perpetrated against us. We can be free from trauma and those deep hurts that are real. And yes, sometimes it takes time to work through them, but we can find help in the word of God. There is an answer. Um, We can be free to obey him. I love that. I love that. There's just a quick little fun story. I was just so young in the Lord. We were newly married and Rick's from Long Island and New York City was pretty, you know, a standard visiting place for him. I'm from small town, USA, upstate New York, you know, like, where are we going? Okay, this is gonna be fun. So we get there and we decided we wanted to see a a theater show and they have this place called Half Price Tickets. It's a TKTS booth. TKTS booth, there you go. And he said, listen, I can't find a parking spot, but we need to get there and get those tickets. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pull over right now. You jump out and I'll just keep driving around till I find a place. So I thought, okay, and before he finally hardly finished the sentence, he found a way to pull over. He flung the door open and I got out and he closed the door and took off and I just stood there and I was like, this is Times Square in the middle of the day. I don't know how many people were around me. And this is, you know, many years ago. And this was me growing up hearing, wow, New York City, they mug you, they take your stuff, they're gonna beat you up, they're gonna, you know what I mean? You're in big trouble if you're in New York City. And there I am, I'm like, is he ever gonna go back? What if he never comes back? What if he gets lost? What am I gonna do? I was like, Dar, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He, he needs you to be his help meet right now. You need to find God. And the word of God says, boom. And it was an anchor for me. It was an anchor for me. And I started learning right then. Oh, that's a, that's a sword, man. <laughs> Woo! So, um, I, I just stood there calmly and waited and waited and waited. It took a while. Yes, it did. But you came, he came back and everything was good. So, you know, um, we, we can be free. We can be free. Um, I just want to say that I feel like payday is in my life right now. I am just rejoicing in the bountiful harvest of God's faithfulness, of the word of God in my life. Um, and here's one of the paydays that, you know, when people come up and, and visit our churches, um, I think one of the things they experience is this incredible liberty that comes from following the word of God. And you think to yourself, yeah, but it's a bunch of laws. It's the, everybody, you know, what do you mean you have to obey? That's not liberty. Liberty is doing whatever you want. There is a portal into this immense freedom and liberty that comes through obedience to the precepts of the word of God that is 
unexplainable that you don't even understand can be true until you have walked on his holy paths and he brings you into this big open place that is absolutely boundless but absolutely safe and secure because you are in his precepts. I, I, I just feel like for me that is the payday that I really experience the most. And verse 45 and 119 says this, I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Another translation, I will be secure, for I seek your precepts. And lastly, I love this one, I will walk freely in an open place because I study your precepts. A precept is basically, a, a, the, the dictionary definition, a general rule intended to regulate behavior or thought. That's what God's precepts are, general rules intended to regulate our behavior or our thought. It's like a narrow door to an expansive place. And it's amazing. Just think about what that means. It's, I, I don't know if you're like me, I can close my eyes and see all kinds of sets and designs and let's just stage this right now, okay? Because <laughs> that's how I function. But I, I close my eyes and I just picture a big, open ballroom with tall, bright light windows, letting all this airy light come in. And it's clear and it's clean. It's this big floor. And think about a kid. If you let a kid into a room like that, what would he do? He would run and jump. And if he was me, he would be twirling and trying to do an arabesque and a pirouette and all these things across the floor and in any direction and with perfect liberty and safety. When I see a big room, that's what I want to do. I want to twirl. Um, sorry, that's just who I am. But it, it also made me think, when I thought about a broad place, um, we, we had the privilege of being in Venice a few times, and the Grand Canal is where all those canals converge and then empty out into the Mediterranean. And, and it's this vast waterway with just little gondolas everywhere, just going this way, that way. And, and it was it was like, Wow, so just put your boat in the water and go any direction you want. And, and it was, it's just such a sense of liberty. And that's, that's what I picture when I think about this. Um, Isaiah 33, 21 uses the same word. It's rahab, which is the word for broad in that verse we just looked at. But in this, it says this, Instead, the Lord will rule there as our mighty king. Rivers and wide streams will flow through it. No war galley will be there. No large ships will sail through. When I thought about a war galley and the slaves down work in the war galley, none of that. It's just going to be a broad, free place. Um, freedom is ours in the Lord. No insecurities. You know what? You, you're you're actually free to do anything when you're within the precepts of the Lord. You want to start a business, start a business. You want to be involved in a ministry, be involved in a ministry. You want to go somewhere, go somewhere. Try it, do it, be it, be. This sense that we get to be. 
we get to be this big round being that's full of potential and gifts and we can try them all. We can try to, we can fail and we can try to do it the same way over again if we want to. And God's okay with that, you know, because if you try and fail and then you try it and do it the same way, that might, might be the Lord because circumstances change. So if the Lord says, no, 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 do the same thing over again, and you've listened to that little worldly adage, which is a great, it's wisdom, you know, if you, how does it go? If you do the same thing, you're, and expect to get different results. But you know what? If God says, do the same thing the same way, you should do the same thing the same way. (laughs) Because maybe the, the situation you're in or the circumstances have changed. I mean, it's just amazing the freedom and the liberty we can have when we're just walking in his ways. So um, I, I just really want to encourage you. I just want to call back. I mean, I know some of you are right there with me. You know, I'm 66. I'll be 67 in whatever it is, July. Um, and I just, want to, I just want to give you a call back and say, God's word, just do God's word. Just cling to it. You've got voices. We've got Christian voices all around telling us no compromise. You know, you need to compromise because then you'll have a bigger church. No, no, no. You need to compromise because that's what Jesus love looks like. And I'm like, you're not even saved. How do you know what Jesus loves looks like? Don't. But we're tempted to feel guilty. We're tempted to buy it. Like, oh yeah, that is more loving. I'm like, actually, no, it's not. God is love. (laughs) Whatever God does is love. So we can, we, can, we can know him. We can be those people that know him and do mighty exploits. Um, and a mighty exploit might mean, oh, you get to raise nine kids in a small town in northern New York where you know, nobody even knows where you live. It doesn't matter. If that's what God has for you, that's what God has for you. And it's great, great stuff. Freedom is ours in the Lord. No fears, no insecurities, no guilt or shame, no pressure to conform. Just because brother... I don't mean to say Brother Joe, but that's just how I would say it normally. Brother, <laughs> Brother Charlie, are there any Brother Charlies in here? Just because Brother Charlie down the street does it one way doesn't mean you have to do it that way. We don't have to conform. No threats to comply. <laughs> we won't go there. Um, no need to be cookie cutouts. You don't have to say, well, that, look what they're doing. I want to be just like that. Actually, God probably doesn't want you to be just like that. God is so unique and creative. Let's let everybody be free to who they're meant to be and be, f- be free to really explore that and the uniqueness that God has made us all with. Do it differently, um, whatever it takes. Um, I think, I'm getting there, hon. So one, one other scripture about that broad concept. The scripture says in, in Psalm 119, I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. New Living says it this way, even perfection has its limits, but your commands have no limit. And whoa, I just thought about that for a while. I was like, wow, what is perfection? We all want perfection. And the scripture says, even perfection has limits. You know what the limit is? It's perfection. Once it's perfect, what? What else do you do? But, but his, his word, his truths, his commands have no 
limit. That is a boundless place that we're talking about. It's full, it's beyond our comprehension. Um, I, I don't know, if that doesn't blow you away, wow, I, uh, that blows me away. I'm like, okay, so walking in holiness is way better than perfection. Because <laughs> there's freedom and liberty to be that. I just want to pray with you real quick. So um, just to, to really pray and Lord, ask the Lord to help us with all these ideas and to keep the word a relationship and to to depend on him to keep us walking in his way, but to want to walk in his way. Lord, sustain us, O oh God. Have mercy on us. Guide us. Illuminate our souls. Open up our eyes. Divide asunder. Transform us. Teach us your holy ways. Keep us from deception, O oh Lord. Give us this day our daily bread manna from your holy word to teach us holy ways, ways of freedom, paths that are uniquely crafted by you for your work in us, free from sin, from the encroachment of fear and hurt, whole, Lord, make us whole before you, free and secure, free and safe to just be, to fully be, to not be afraid. What would somebody think? What, what if I don't make it? What if, do I really have the same talent? You don't need that same talent. You need to be who you are and just bloom and fully be you. Lord, let us build upon your word. Let us walk in holy ways. Thank you. And let us be your living testaments in this world and to the next generation, saying to them, come and see what the Lord has done in my life. I'm telling you, he is faithful, he is righteous, and you can build your life upon him. Amen. Amen. Thanks. It's fantastic. Dar, thanks. Um, that was good. That was really good. Um, so we're talking about strengthening ancient landmarks. Um, word of God. We love the Word of God. Uh, I want to just share briefly another love that has really, in a sense, guided us, rooted us, and strengthened us, and that is love for His church. And I want to take a few minutes and... and talk about that tonight because it's, it's essential that we understand the work of Christ in his body, in his bride, the church, and also in this hour that we understand the vicious attack that's against the church. Um, and so let's take a few minutes and we'll talk about that love as well. Uh, open your Bible with me, if you could, to uh, the book of Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2, very significant passage. I'm going to begin reading in verse, verse 41, read verses 41 through 47. And, you know, in, the, in the, one of the rules of hermeneutics, the law of first mention, what we have here is a first description 
of the early church, the spirit-filled church? What happened after they come to Christ, after this first generation of believers uh, comes to the Lord? It's a very significant description of that. And what we're going to see is that in coming to Christ, God's people had a sense of identity and identification with him, but they also had a sense of identity and identification with the bride, with the church. It wasn't simply this way. It was this way as well. Um, before we read, I want to just prepare us for the passage. I want to read a quote from uh, uh, Rick Warren uh, in his Purpose Driven Life. He said this. He said, you were formed for God's family. God wants a family, and he created you to be part of it. When we place our faith in Christ, God becomes our father. We become his children. Other believers become our brothers and sisters, and the church becomes our spiritual family. You are called to belong, not just believe. We are created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for a family, and none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. The Bible knows nothing of solitary saints or spiritual hermits isolated from other believers and deprived of fellowship. The Bible says we are put together, joined together, built together, members together, heirs together, fitted together, and held together, and will be caught up together. You're not on your own anymore. While your relationship to Christ is personal, God never intends it to be private. In God's family, you are connected to every other believer, and we will belong to each other for eternity. Now the text, uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They heard the preaching of Christ. They were moved in their hearts, realizing their need for a Savior. They appealed to God for a cleansing uh, and affirmed that appeal through water baptism. Following that, they emerge with this new sense of identity. Um, they don't return to life as it was. In other words, they don't simply go home and say, that was interesting. Uh, that was an interesting experience and no change. They're absolutely changed. They saw themselves as belonging to God. They saw themselves as disciples of Christ. They saw themselves as living for the purposes of God. They had a new identity in Christ. But in addition to that, they had a new identity as members together of the family of God. They had a new identity with Christ and with his bride, the church. This sense of identification uh, comes through this passage very, very prominently. Uh, chapter 2, verse 41 says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. 
They were added to it. They were, they were joined. They were connected to something. Verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing the meals and the Lord's Supper and prayer. There's this sense of community. Verse 44, All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Verses 45 and 46, They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. What we're seeing here is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the apostles, these men and women are living out the reality of their new life in Christ in meaningful relationship with the body of Christ. Now, the specific actions listed here are very, very significant, but I want you to just see the, the big picture. They are changed in their identity this way and this way. This way and this way. Now, I want to share a little bit of my testimony. I came to Christ, as I mentioned earlier, 1973. I was a college sophomore. Um, I didn't simply give my life to Christ and then just business as usual. Um, I, was, I was engulfed. I'm, I'm so happy I was. I was engulfed by a small neighborhood Bible study. This is 1973. We were anti-establishment. We didn't trust anyone over 30. Uh, I don't know if you lived through that. God bless you. Okay. Um, and the last place I wanted to go was church. So I went to the neighborhood Bible study. Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, Saturday night, every week for a whole year. We're gathering together, and we're taking in the Word of God. We're worshiping. We're going out doing street evangelism. We're doing coffee houses. I was the beneficiary of the impact of the body of Christ on my life. I didn't just, I mean, I, if, if you asked me my story at the time, I would have talked about this impact, not realizing how significant this impact was. I would have, let me talk to you about Paul, Acts chapter 9. We talk about Paul in Acts chapter 9. We talk about, of course, the Damascus Road experience. I want you to know something. Without Ananias, I don't know if we would know the story of Damascus Road. Jesus says to him certain things. Now, Jesus, if he wants to talk to you, he can. I think Acts chapter 9 proves that. You know, if he wants to say something to you, he doesn't need any help whatsoever. Okay? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But then Jesus says, go ahead to the city and you'll be told more. And without Ananias, I don't know if we'd know the story of Saul of Tarsus. It's because God then spoke to Ananias, a member of the body of Christ, and said, you know that fellow named Saul of Tarsus? Yes, the one we're running from. I want you to go find him and present yourself to him. I'm not hearing this. <laughs> this is one of those Darlene moments. You know, you're just, you're going to wrestle with that word. We're running from him. Ananias obeys the word of the Lord. And we know the story of Saul of Tarsus. Because first Ananias embraces Saul. And then the believers welcome him. Can you imagine that moment? Okay. Um, Church, I've come to faith in Christ. Stop hiding. Tell me where you are. 
this is this is this is like the story, you know, like like you know I'm talking about. In other words, come out, come out wherever you are. And and they're like, we don't believe you. Ananias says, I'm telling you, it was real. It's real. And the believers embrace him. They draw him in. We think Saul of Tarsus, we think the experience this way, and it was profound. Absolutely profound. I mean, it's like you can't say enough about it, but there's this experience this way. My story is not of self-made man. That's not my story. I was gobbled up by this small Bible study in my neighborhood on Long Island and for a year discipled by these men and women. Then when I went up to college in northern New York where we are now, um, uh, when I transferred, they, they called ahead. And they said, we, we, of course, this is 1974 now. There's no internet. Uh, you know, you're trying to find a church in northern New York. Somebody found one. They said, I think there's a church up there. When you get up there, introduce yourself to them. I was very suspicious because I didn't trust anybody over 30, and I didn't trust organized religion. Um, but they said, just, you got to do it. So I went to this church. The name of it was Koinonia. A uh, Greek word, of course, for fellowship. None of us knew how to say it. Um, so on Long Island, everybody's saying, go to that koinononi, whatever it is. Um, we don't know how to say it, but we heard it's good. So I go to this church, and I, I get introduced then to two wonderful men of God who are serving as pastors, who for the next two years take me under their wing. God uses them to bring deep, deeply needed inner healing into my life. I mean, total transformation. I mean, it's like absolutely amazing. And I'm getting impacted by Jesus. And again, if you asked me my story then, I would have told you about this, but I'm telling you, it came through the people of God. It came through the family of God. God was using the church in my life. One of the, one of the greatest pieces of wisdom instruction I received and then Darlene graduated from that same school and same church a year later when we left they pulled the seniors aside it was kind of a special you know a special time they had for the graduating seniors seniors and they gave us the talk you know what the talk was wherever you go find a church it won't be like what you're used to it probably won't give you the same warm fuzzies. You know, you've come to love the pastors here, and you've come to love the worship and all that, but wherever you go, find a church. And here's how you find a church. You know, go to a, go to a church and attend and see what God's doing, and if you're not sure, meet with the pastor and just ask him if he loves Jesus. And so I, I took that wisdom, and I said, you know what? I'm going to be a local church guy. I took a job teaching in northern Vermont, right where Vermont, New Hampshire, and Quebec meet, um, a small town called Canaan, Vermont. And uh, I looked for a church. And there were two churches in the town, very small town. Uh, there was a Catholic church and a Methodist church. Okay, Catholic church was ruled out before I even went. Um, I went to the Methodist church. And so I sat down with the pastor. I said, do you love Jesus? And he gave me this really garbled theological answer. I said, I don't know if he does. <laughs> so the pastors at the first church in college said, keep looking. 
I expanded my target zone. I'm looking 15-mile radius. I expanded it further, 30-mile radius. I finally found a church 55 miles away in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And every Sunday, I would get in my little Volkswagen Super Beetle and try to make it through the White Mountains to the church. And sometimes I made it. Sometimes I had to turn back because of the snow. But I knew I need the church. I need the church. We then got married. And one of the things we brought to our, our marriage, uh, you know, we didn't have a detailed, like, family charter or anything like that. Some of you are very organized and, like, you anticipate all this, and you've got the 15-point family charter. There was like, it was like one thing on our charter. We're going to be church people. You know, that, that was like our, we are going to follow Jesus and be part of a church. So uh, we were living in Auburn, New York. I had a, a new teaching job, public school teaching and music. And uh, we looked around in Auburn. We expanded our search zone, finally found a church uh, about 20 miles away in a small town um, in central New York, Savannah. And so we decided we'd be part of that church. And then we thought, you know what, we're just renting an apartment in Auburn, in the city of Auburn. Why don't we, why don't we move to where the church is? So we talked to the landlord, and I said, would you release us? He said, yeah, yeah, it's no problem. So we got out of the apartment. We rented a trailer where the church was because we said, listen, we, we have that flexibility. Wouldn't it be better to commute to work and be with the people of God? Immerse ourselves, because we need the body of Christ. Now, we moved there. Two months later, the church had a, like, total implosion. Um, uh, it, there was financial scandal. Uh, there was moral scandal. Uh, it was like a charismatic chaos of prophetic war going on and you had different factions that were coming to church prophesying against the other factions I I don't know if you've ever been through anything like that I hope not um, it was awful I thought at one point I was going to lose my mind and we were a young couple we we're having a struggle and we weren't we weren't adapting to married life smoothly let's just say that um, <laughs> we really could have used some good healthy mentoring um, so we didn't have that, and we had a church that just imploded after we moved there. We moved there. Um, but you know what? The Lord then let us, moved us on. I went back, we went to grad school back in northern New York, where we are now, um, so I could get my master's degree. And we said, you know what? We're going to be church people. Even though we just had this major I mean, it was, it was a real circus. It was unbelievable. It was one of those experiences you're like, people, there are probably people who don't go back to church because of that stuff. And we said, you know what? The body of Christ is the body of Christ with the blemishes, with the spots and the wrinkles. They're all going to get worked out someday, but it hasn't happened yet. And we said, we're going to be part of the body of Christ. And so we were going to only be in northern New York for a year. This is a kind of an interesting. I think about this whenever I travel to Orlando and places like that in February. The plan was for us to go to, back to northern New York for one year. My plan. Now, I had a plan. It wasn't God's plan. It was my plan. 
get my master's degree, and then move maybe to the Carolinas where the weather wasn't so cold. Um, and so we were going to be there for one year. We said, you know what? For the one year we're going to be here, we're going to be involved in a local church. We're going to get involved up to our eyeballs in a local church. And so we did. We, I was involved in worship, leading worship, and we're serving in different ways. And five months into that, in a very sovereign way, the Lord led us to go to another church, to leave a church, which is very hard for me because yeah. I have a sense of loyalty. Um, but I went to the pastor, and I told him how the Lord had led us, very gracious brother, kingdom brother. He said, you know, he said, I'm not sure. I, he said, the Lord didn't speak that to me, but... It's not a wrong thing. Why don't you do it? And we'll know soon enough <clears throat> whether or not it's God. And so we went to this new church thinking we we're going to be there for six or seven months maximum. What do you do when you go to a place for six or seven months? You just figure I'll sit in the back row and just, you know, take it in. We said, you know what? We want to be local church people. This is the body of Christ. We want to we seize every opportunity to love the bride, to invest ourselves, and to receive. And you know what? That's the church we're still at. <laughs> 42 years, 40, yeah, 42 years later. It was January of 1980 we were led there. I'm going somewhere with this. God wants us to love certain things, but love the church, to love the body of Christ. My own experience, I love the church. I've not had a perfect experience, by the way, after we got to the church where we are now, uh, just a few months, well, it was probably six months after we were there, we had one of those negative experiences that, again, people sometimes, you know, if that's the way the church is, I don't want to I don't want to be there. Short version of the story is there was a young guy who was struggling with employment. He asked if he could borrow one of our cars. We each, we each had cars at that time. Uh, and I said, sure. So he was going to go to Syracuse for a, for a couple of days to look for work. Three-hour trip, one night, maybe two at the most. And four days later, no sign of him. Five days later, no sign of him. Six days later, no sign of him. Seventh day, he calls. I said, where are you? He said, relax, peace, brother, peace. Um, I, said, I said, you told me you were going to Syracuse for a couple of days to look for work. He said, just relax, Rick, just relax. Um, he said, I'm calling for a reason. I said, uh, I said, well, where are you? He said, Tampa. It's Tampa, Florida. Uh, there's no Tampa, New York that I know of. Um, I said, Tampa. He said, yeah, yeah, we just decided to come down and see family. And I was like, I'm very upset. And he says, peace, brother, peace. Just, just relax. And then he says, I'm calling for a reason. I said, what's that? He says, I need your insurance information. He says, I was in an accident. I said, where's the car? He said, it's at, the, it's at the, 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 the car repair place. They had to tow it. It's undrivable. So anyway, the short version is I never got the car back. Um, it stayed down in Florida. An uncle ended up salvaging it. Um, but it was one of those moments when if Christians are going to be that way, I don't want anything to do with that kind of church. That's where we still are. 
I love the church. My, my experience hasn't been perfect. I have, I have faced, you know, the, the bumps and the bruises and the spots and the blemishes in the church. Um, but the church is God's plan. If he loves her, and if he gave himself for her, who am I to scorn her, to mock her, to resent her, to despise her, or to reject her? her? Um, because he loves the church. He imparts to us his love for the church. What is the church? It is that company of people washed in the blood of Christ, redeemed from their sins, in whom God dwells by the presence of his spirit. They are the men and women, young and old, from every walk of life, every vocation, every background imaginable, who have in common that they've been made alive by the regenerating work of Christ. They were once dead, but now are alive to God. The Bible calls the church the pillar and ground of the truth, meaning that by her very existence, the church declares the wisdom and kindness of God in redeeming a people who were once not a people. Let me state that again. The Bible calls the church the pillar and ground of the truth, meaning that by her very existence, the church declares the wisdom and kindness of God in redeeming a people who were not a people. It is by the church that principalities and powers in heavenly places understand the wisdom of God. The Bible calls the church the assembly of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. The Bible calls the church the one who is loved by Christ, the one for whom he gave his life, and refers to her as a bride, the one who is betrothed to Christ himself. The Bible declares that God has placed everything under the power of Christ and has set him up as head of everything for the church. The Bible tells us that the church is his body, and in that body, lives fully the one who fills the whole wide universe. The Bible calls the church Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And it was the church, this Mount Zion, this city of the living God, this heavenly Jerusalem, that the prophet Isaiah saw when he declared that in the latter days, the mountain in the Lord's house would be established at the top of the mountains. It was that same church Isaiah saw when he described a mountain with all nations flowing to it. It was that church that he heard in the voices of the people saying, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. There are more than 100 references to the church, the ecclesia in the New Testament. Some are references to what we refer to as the universal church that invisible company of people through the ages who, through the atoning work of Christ, stand as the evidence of God's redemptive love and mercy and who will forever proclaim his manifested glory. In this broad sense, the church includes all believers throughout all times and in all places. But most of the references to the church in the New Testament are to what we, re we refer to as the local church. Recognizable, 
tangible, identifiable groups of believers who are living out their lives in ongoing relationship with other believers, sharing their lives together, displaying the purpose of God. The local church, brothers and sisters, is the theater displaying his character to a watching world. We were formed for God's family, and we fulfill his purposes as we relate to one another in these tangible relationships of love and commitment, demonstrating the love of Christ in genuine, practical, and meaningful ways. Let me share very quickly two application thoughts for you. And I know I'm dealing, speaking tonight to a room full of pastors and leaders. Um, this message is critical that we live, that we model, and that we teach to the body of Christ. Firstly, because it is inevitable that people will experience the spots, wrinkles, and blemishes of the church. If somebody comes and is shocked by the problems they face in the church, they shouldn't be. <laughs> there are problems in the church. Until we come to the unity of the faith, until everything is worked out, there are going to be problems. But the reality is that those problems can be overwhelming. The disappointments that we face have a way of dulling our expectation and dimming our hope. What happens to the newlywed couple who picks up and moves to another city to be part of a church, only to have that church completely implode and eventually dissolve? The devil uses that. The devil uses that. How many stolen cars does it take before you grow cynical? A better question, how many times do you have to get sold out for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed with a kiss before you decide you're not going to take any more risks with people? Saints, we cannot draw back because of the pain we experience. Our captain loved us to the end. He loved us to the end. Jesus sees all the problems that we face, and he wants to strengthen us. He's faithful, and he's true. So that's the first application point. The second one is this. We are living in a day of hyper-individualism. The New Testament view of the Christian life as being identified with the Lord and with his body, goes against the grain of our individualized thinking. This thinking is not a new problem. It's not new in the last 10 years or 20 or 30. This is enlightenment thinking brought to, in a sense, full fruition in our day. When we think of the gospel and our conversion and our testimony, we tend to think on very personal and intimate terms, and I understand why. Our encounter with Christ is very personal, and it's very intimate, and in that sense, it's true. But something's been lost in our understanding of our place as members in particular of the body 
of Christ. And let me say this. And then in our preaching, we tend to address our listeners as if the problems of life are all personal and the solutions to life's problems are centered on our personal response. Messages that target individuals and their needs and solutions that are highly individualistic may be feeding the problem. When we think of growth, we tend to think of personal growth. If I said to you, you know, what are your growth plan? What's your growth plan for 2022? You might think personal Bible reading, Bible memorization, reading good books. That's all good. But the answers typically reflect an emphasis on each of us individually. We don't realize how much those answers reflect the hyper-individualism that has infected our culture and shaping our values for decades, even, even centuries. Is it possible that more messages should conclude by saying, you can't fix this on your own? You can't fix this on your own. The concept of growth in the New Testament is not presented simply as an individual experience. Instead, it's presented in a way as corporate. If you look up the word grow or growth in your concordance, in the New Testament, you're going to find some passages that are very, very corporate. Listen to Ephesians 2. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. There's a corporate dimension to this that our hyper-individualist, individualized thinking doesn't even let us take it in. You know our problem? It's like, it's like asking the fish, how's the water? He says, what water? We're so immersed in individualized and hyper-individualized thinking, we don't realize how far off track we are. Listen to Ephesians 4 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I mentioned earlier the Apostle Paul and the Damascus Road experience. By the way, that, that section, when you're teaching on prophetic ministry, Acts 9 is an, an amazingly powerful section because what we read in Acts 9 is there are things that Jesus will tell you directly, but there are things he'll only tell you through the body of Christ. He could have told Paul everything. Don't go to Damascus. He could have, I, I'm Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't. One of the things we learn in Acts chapter 9 is that Paul is instructed, he's tutored in reliance on the Lord Jesus and the body of Christ. 
He's learning. He's, he's in school for what this thing is that Jesus has done. The body of Christ is not an appendage that gets in our way. We need the body of Christ. Amen. That flows out of the heart of God in us, which is filled with love for his bride. You know, the internet has many, there's many good aspects of it. There's a lot of negatives. One of the negatives is there's a lot of stuff on display that's like really a, it's really discouraging. You and I are at risk of becoming very cynical as we look at the state of the church through the lens of the internet. We could be very, very cynical. Jesus sees all the problems and he loves his bride. He's crazy about his bride. He really is. Um, I'll give you one little tidbit. Do further study on this. Book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Seven churches. Five of the seven have some serious corrective words. But for all seven, the Lord concludes the portion of each of those letters with this sense of, I'm rooting for you. I'm eager to see you. Church in Ephesus, they left their first love. And he says this, to him who overcomes. Hear the heart of God. To him who overcomes. He's, he's basically, yeah, you've left your first love, but... To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He loves his church. The church in Smyrna, they were actually not corrected, but they were told, be faithful to death. Hang in there. The church in Pergamos, false doctrines of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. They were in trouble. But he says, but to him who give, overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. He's basically saying, I love you. I love you. The heart of Jesus and all seven, the letters to all seven churches, the same way. Even if they're corrected, there's this sense of, I want, and it closes. In the, last, the, la the letter to the last church, the church at Laodicea, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And the Greek word there is phileo. We oftentimes focus on agape because agape, we describe it as the, the love of God, the transcendent love of God. You know what phileo is? It's a love of passion from the heart that is just filled with a, I love you. I don't just love you because I have to. Can you imagine? You know, in, in heaven, there's a, there's a conference. The angels go to the Lord and say, Lord, planet Earth, they're in bad shape. You need to do something. You have to. You're God. You've just got to. And God says, well, I don't want to, but I, have, I guess I'm God. I have to. It didn't happen that way. The Bible says God so loved the world 
The passionate heart of God for humanity is expressed in the sacrificial death of Christ. And now he loves his bride. There's a fervent and overflowing sense of love. And again, the, the letters in the book of Revelation, they, they, they just drip with this sense of love. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Phileo, affection, to, to kiss. Brothers and sisters, I want to urge us. Go to the Lord as often as you need to and say, refresh me with your love for the bride. Tell me again, why do you love her? <laughs> what is it you see? Because I need that. You know, when I'm struggling, when, I, when I'm facing the bumps and the bruises and all that, my prayer is, Lord, if you love them, put that heart in me. Just help me to love them. And not, not a love simply of necessity. I love you, but I don't like you. You know what? I think God looks at his church and he's like, he loves us and he likes us. Now, it doesn't mean he's happy with everything. There are issues. We've got nine kids. I'm crazy about all nine. All nine. And when I lose that craziness, I go to the Lord. I don't say, Lord, if you fix them, I'll love them. That's not the way it goes. Lord, help me to love them. And then somehow, maybe the love of God in me for my children or the people around me will be part of that transforming agency that God uses to touch them. But we ought not to fool ourselves into thinking, Lord, if you change them all, I'll love them. That's not God's love. God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God on display in the person of Christ. Amen. I want to encourage you as often as you need to go to the Lord and say, refresh me with your love. Ask the Lord to deliver you from the, the, the tarnishing effect and the cynicism that walking on the highway of life has. You know, that's what foot washing is, right? Or as you're going on the highways of life, your feet get dirty. Jesus, come and wash my feet. Wash my feet. I want to encourage you to love the body of Christ, not just because you're a leader in it, but because you love it. You know, just you love the people of God. Ask God to give you a graciousness toward the body of Christ. Uh, ask God to, to give you a, a heart and certainly encourage and teach and model it uh, for the brothers and sisters. So two loves tonight, love for the word of God and love for his bride, the church. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you tonight for what you're doing. There is spiritual warfare and this turbulence. There are, amazed, there are many, many challenges. But Lord, I thank you for the great work you're doing. And I pray tonight, as we've looked to strengthen 
ancient landmarks. Lord, I pray, would you give us fresh passion for your word and your presence in your word, the living word. And would you give us tonight fresh passion for the church? Lord, give us your love for the body. Give us your love for the people of God. Lord, in spite of the, the spots and the blemishes, Lord, I pray somehow we would overflow with a sense of the love of God. And that in a way that love would, that would be part of your agency through us to then touch the people around us. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in all of the churches represented by the men and women here. And Lord, I pray not only for those ecclesias, those local churches, but I pray for local churches in their cities, in their towns. I pray, O oh God, that where the word of God is being preached, I pray, O oh God, that you would move we pray for a great awakening, greater than any other. We pray, O oh God, as the, as, the, as the day of your return hastens, that we would see a rising of the tide in our day. Oh God, men and women flooding to the mountain of the Lord's house. Father, I pray for that. I pray for renewal. I pray for revival. Would you move by your spirit? Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, where, where some of this has been very, very personal to some, and there are hurts, there's been betrayal, there's been disappointment. Lord, would you, would you come and cleanse? Would you heal? And would you refresh so that we can love again? Love does leave us in a very vulnerable place. But, Lord, I pray we would not stop loving. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Pastor Keith.